0: Good morning, true life. Yo. My name's Adam. Like Caleb said, I am the operations director here. And if uh, you're worried what time we're going to get out today, don't worry. It's still going to be 1130. Pumped about the new Doritos commercial or whatever it's going to be. Tom Brady's still going to be looking better than you when you sit down today. So, um, so again, my name's Adam. Like Caleb said, we're doing, uh, we're jumping out to a standalone sermon today. And, you know, as I was thinking about the Super Bowl, I was thinking about this concept of assurance. And by assurance, I just mean like, this unshakable confidence. You know, you know, you know, it's not guesswork, right? I was thinking about how nerve wracking it would be to be in the Super Bowl and just how stressful that would be and you don't know what's gonna happen. I mean, how many Super Bowls have been decided in the last second, right? And so I was thinking about this concept of assurance and how much we want it, you know, how much we desire it. You know, my wife is pregnant right now and, uh, we looked him up. He's a boy. So we just wanted that assurance. Just make some decisions around that, right? Um, and, you know, it just allows us to think about kind of what's next. You need assurance for so many things. Uh, trust falls, essential to have assurance. Um, buying cars, like all kinds of stuff. Is this Prius set I just bought still going to be cool in five years? You know, you got to know, you know, when you got to know, you got to know. You need to be sure of this stuff. And I, one time, I was in Africa and I was bungee jumping off a bridge. That's a setup for a story right there. Um, and uh, it was loose. I was—it's the biggest bridge jump in the lower hemisphere. And I walked up and I was like, "Hey, dude, this is kind of loose. I like, can't tie it up." He's like, "Nah, dude, there's like a hundred people behind. You gotta go." I was like, "Okay, all right, let's do it." But didn't have assurance. But as you can tell, here I am. I actually slid out into the water. No, I'm kidding. I didn't. Slide. But um, wanted assurance. And like, that's trivial stuff, right? But like. What about more important things? Like if you have parents that love you, assurance that your parents love you, friends that are going to be there for you, friends that love you. How much does assurance of those things make a difference in our lives? The stability that that gives us, right? It makes a huge difference. And other things like the stock market, buying a house, who am I going to marry? All kinds of stuff we want assurance for. And look, the Christian life is no different. The Christian life is no different. We are looking for assurance as Christians. And in fact, probably one of the biggest questions that we as Christians ask ourselves is can we have assurance? How do we get assurance that we belong to Jesus? That we really, that we really belong to Him? We know for sure. Maybe some of you have asked yourself this question. And in fact, the text we're going to be in today, 1 John. 3, 10 through 24, we're going to be in the CSB version for those of you who want to pull it up on your phones. This text, in fact, this whole letter talks about that question. Can you have assurance that you belong to Jesus? John speaks to that directly. Now, before I jump into... This, and we read this right here. Let me just give you a little bit of backdrop on, on John. So it's the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. This, uh, he wrote this afterwards, we think probably 85 to 90 AD. He wrote it to a specific community of churches that were going through specific things, right? And, you know, I've always, <laughs> I've always thought of John as kind of like a, like a creative band kid. You know, like that's what I think of John as opposed to like a Paul or whoever. And if you're hey, I was a band kid. I was a band kid too, Okay. And I wasn't even creative, so imagine how that made me feel. Um, but John is, he uses a lot of love language, right? A lot of descriptive language, and, but also very direct language. And he speaks to, and we can see what the letter's about when, by what he says and what he speaks to. And one of the things, in fact, maybe the headline is that assurance. How can we have assurance that we belong to Jesus? So, and what we say, so let's read it really quick right here. If you want to open up your Bibles with me right here. Come on, money. Oh, there we go. Okay. So this is First John. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Time out. You might be thinking to yourself, oh, so why was Cain a murderer? Because he was evil. Okay, got it. No, so listen, this is, a, this is a, a reference back to Genesis 4, story of Cain and Abel. Maybe some of you have heard of it. What happens is Cain offers a sacrifice to God and his brother Abel does the same thing. God accepts Abel's sacrifice and is pleased with it. Not so with Cain. And Cain gets jealous and then murders his brother. Okay, this is what happens. So when it says... Cain, who was of the evil one, murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. He's talking about because he offered, Abel offered a righteous sacrifice to God and Cain didn't. And that's why he murdered him. Okay, time in. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. The world here, remember this is right out of that Cain passage. The world is representative of Cain. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Murderer, remember, again, referencing K. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. Talking about Jesus. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, How does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him, because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. So that's 1 John 3, 10 through 24. Now, when we're talking about this question, how can we have assurance that we belong to Jesus? Such an important thing that would affect our lives. Really, we kind of need to clarify terms first, right? Right? What do we even really want assurance of? Belong to Jesus? What do we mean by that? What are we actually looking for assurance of? What do we want to be assured of? And when we think back and look back at this passage, we see the first one here in verse ten, and that's that we're God's children. This is how God's children. And you're like Adam. We just read 15 verses. You're on words three and four, and you're already talking about God's children. Like, are you just plugging that out a little bit? I mean, yeah. But but think about the intentionality of this language. Think about the implications of this familial language. I mean, John could have said all kinds of stuff. This is how God's humans know, you know what I mean? He like, could have said all kinds of stuff, but he says God's children. And what does that imply when we think about being children? What does that imply? The first thing that it implies is provision. We expect, as a child, that our parents will provide for us, right? And being God's children, we have that same expectation of God. When he uses that language in that Bible, he expects us to have that expectation, right? Provision. The second thing here, guidance and and direction. Um, As as children of God, that's what we expect as his kids, right? I I remember, uh, you guys remember when the book Da Vinci Code came out back in like 2003? Uh, That book came out, I think I was like 14 at the time. And uh, my aunt told me she thought it was good. And I read it. It was was good. But for those of you who have read it, it talks about, I mean, it's a it's a fiction book. Didn't realize that at the time, but it talks about this whole other thing about Jesus, right? He's got kids, he's married, all these things. I'm reading through this book as a 14 year old, and I'm like, what? What? Oh no! And I go into my dad, my dad's room. I was like, Dad, this book. Have you read it? And he goes, You mean that fiction book your aunt gave you? I was like, Yeah, that one. Uh. And then he was like, What? What's wrong? And I was like, Look at the stuff that it says about Jesus. Like, what? What am I? What is this? I'm going to my dad for guidance, right? I'm going to my parents for for guidance and direction. And then he sits down with me, and we look up. Oh, it's based on the Gnostic Gospels. Oh, we discovered those in the Nagamani Library in 1945. Oh, all the scholars realize that this was written 100, 200 years after Jesus. Okay, and it just all just comes together, right? But I came to my dad looking for that assurance, looking for that, hey, dad, explain what's going on because I'm 14. I'm a bit of a moron, you know? And I got that from my dad. I expected that from him. And now, look, I know that many of you... um, haven't had this experience with your parents, haven't had maybe this experience with even your dad in particular, and, you know, maybe you've witnessed abuse at the hands of a father or experienced that at the hands of a father, and I'm sorry that you experienced that, and and, and look, when we look at those things, we hear about those things, it's so horrific for us and so broken. We know that it's so wrong because our expectation It's completely different. It's completely different. What we're looking for from parents, and this is the third thing, is an unconditional love. An unconditional love. Look at what it says here in verse 16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. Talking about Jesus. That's what we expect of parents. We expect that love. It's built in from the beginning. And this is why it's so painful and destructive when we don't have that. When we don't have that. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Adam, this is talking about Jesus. Aren't we talking about the Father? Well, yeah, remember what Jesus says. It's the same author, actually, in the gospel. I and the Father are one, Jesus says, in John's gospel. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, Jesus says. Jesus represents to us what the Father is like. Um, and we expect him to love us no matter what. This is the, all the implications when we're talking about. What do we want to be assured of? Oh, that we're God's kids, and all the things that that implies. That's what we're looking for assurance of, right? The next thing is this. That we have eternal life. Huge one. Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. Such an important thing in the Christian life. Do you have assurance of this? Like, is this something that we're, oh, I mean, I hope so. I'm going and praying. You know what I mean? Like, do we, I mean, John's saying that we can have assurance of this. And especially as it relates to eternal life and this salvation, this promises that God makes to us right? Such a big, important thing. And now look, John's writing these things to this community. It's clear that they struggled with this. Some false teachers, it's clear, had come into this community and said things and threw them into confusion. Everybody's freaking out, and John writes him a letter. And if you read through the whole letter, actually, beginning to end, after, like after church today, if you read through First John, he repeats this stuff over and over and over again. This community was dealing with this, but let me, I mean, I want to ask us, are we that different? Or do we really not struggle with that doubt, that questioning as Christians? Can we have assurance that we belong to Jesus? Have you ever asked yourself that? So, can we know, right? So the next question is, where do we then find this assurance that John is talking about? He says it a couple times. This is how it becomes obvious. This is how you know, right? Right? So where, where is he telling us to look for this assurance? The first place is this, loving brother and sister in Christ, right? We see this right away in verse 10. This is how God's children become obvious, especially uh, whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is like a big thing that he calls out. What does he mean by brother and sister? He means fellow Christians, common language in the New Testament, right? That brother and sister, it's that familial language, the church of God is a family. And brothers and sisters are brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is the first thing that he's saying when we ask this question, where do we find this insurance? Are you loving your brothers and sisters? Right? So you might be saying to yourself, well, hang on, hang on. Because I have heard Christians say a thousand times that what, like one of the main things that separates it from the other philosophies and religions of the world is that Christianity is based on grace, not on works. So when you're telling me if I love my brothers and sisters, did you telling me that that's what gives me salvation, that's what gets me to heaven, that's what makes me know, gives me assurance that I belong to Jesus? Isn't that just the same? Well, hang on, let's look at the, let's look at the language here. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters. Oh, wait, I, I I'll go back one. This is how God's children, devil's children, become obvious. Not how they become, but become obvious. This is the sign, right? And in the next one here, this is, oh, there it is. This is how God's children become obvious. And then this next one, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. You see, Jesus' love precedes our loving. His love precedes our loving. And actually, in the next chapter, it says it this way, in 419, we love because he first loved us we love because he first loved us this is not how we come to know jesus this is the sign that jesus has acted on us this is the sign that jesus, and this is the heart of the gospel this really is the heart of a gospel loving brothers and sisters is the fruit it's the fruit that the gospel has worked on us right It's an inside-out change. Christianity is never an outside-in change. It's not, you do this, and then you're a Christian. It's, Jesus worked on you, did something, did a work in your heart, and then you respond out of that, inside-out. So, where do we find this assurance? Loving brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the next one. Loving in action and in truth. This is what he says. If anyone has this world's goods, sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. And this is so awesome because it's so practical. He spells it out. He doesn't just say love and then move on. This is what love looks like. What even is love? Love is valuing, caring for, prioritizing somebody else over yourself. It's not a cupcake love. Okay, it's not love cupcakes the same way that John's talking about here, right? Loving in action and in truth, he says. And and look, I mean, if you walk uh, walk up to anybody on the street, you're like, hey, dude, hey, my name's Adam. Hey, nice to meet you. Hey, uh, question for you. Um, Do you love your brothers and sisters in action and in truth? What are they going to say? They're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do that. And you're going to be like, oh, yeah, how? And they're going to be like, oh, uh, I mean, today I was at lunch with my buddy and I finished his burger. I mean, he, he needed me, and I was there for him. Loved him. Loved his burger. <laughs> I was there. So much love. Right? We're just going to say all kinds of stuff. But look, wherever we're standing, we're just going to draw an arbitrary line in the sand. Are you loving brother and sisters? What does loving brother and sister look like? What does loving action and truth look like? Oh, it's me. It's forever. Yeah, this is it. This is what it looks like. You know, we're all going to say that. But we'll, look, we know that that's not a rational thought process, right? We all know. That we're all kind of do that to some extent. I mean, this is literally like walking into a restaurant without a reservation. Walking up to the host uh, hostess stand, you're like, "Hey, uh, got a reservation here." The hostess is like, "Okay, what's your name?" You lean on the hostess stand and you look over. Johnson, party of three. You're like, "Oh, there's only two of you there." Oh, yeah, well, my wife's pregnant, dude. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> you know, like, it's just completely arbitrary. It's wherever we're sitting, right? But John doesn't let us do that. He knows that our hearts are going to do that. And he says, this is what it looks like, dude. This is what love looks like in action and in truth, not in just word and in falsity. Real love, in the example that he gives, is, is, is giving up worldly possessions for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the example that he gives because he knows what our hearts are going to do. Where do we find this assurance, loving brother and sister, loving an action in action and truth? Here's the third one: belief in Jesus, and obeying His commands. Now, this is His command that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He commanded. The one who keeps His commands remains in Him, and He in Him. The way we know that He remains in Him, or that he, uh, the way that we know that He remains in us is from the Spirit He has given us. Belief in Jesus and obeying His commands. This is the third sign for assurance that John gives in this passage. And like I said before, he echoes us over and over and over. He says all three of these things multiple times from chapters one to five. So where do we find it, the assurance? John says it's in these three things. Loving brother and sister, loving in action and truth, believing in Jesus and obeying his commands. Now, you might be sitting here with me and realizing, yeah, okay, maybe I do that. But if I'm being honest with myself, I can just as easily think about the times that I don't do that. Maybe it's even more so. Maybe it's—I don't even think I do that most of the time. Or even far like I, <laughs> when I look at this, I don't resonate with that at all. Maybe this is what's—I mean, it should be an obvious thing, right? This should be an obvious question that we ask ourselves, and we see John say this. Can can that person have assurance? Can we have assurance even there? And the answer to that is twofold. The answer to that is twofold. The first is, um, yeah, I mean, look, this is the litmus test that John gives. And in the same way that some, they'll look and see that fruit in their lives and get confidence, so too others will be convicted that they fail the test. That's one of the things that will happen here. Now, and that means we need to turn to Jesus, not, not acknowledging Jesus, believing in Jesus like it says. Those people need to turn to Jesus. But look, I want to point something out to you. If that's you, if that's how you're feeling, let me, I want to point something out to you. If the Spirit of God is making you feel this way, this conviction, you're looking at the Word of God and this conviction's rolling up in your heart, why do you think the Spirit of God might be saying that to you? To make you feel bad for the rest of your life? The Spirit of God is saying this to you because he desires you. And if this is what you feel, and this is what you hear in your heart right now, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, know that the reason is because his desires for you. And he wants you to turn to him. Jesus wants you to turn to him that you might enjoy him forever. This is why he would do something like that. Because his desires for you. So I invite you to turn. Talk to me, talk to Caleb after services. This is where you find yourself. Now, the other group of folks, really the rest of us who are Christians, that maybe see fruit, the whole spectrum, right? I think I'm doing okay. Oh, I mean, I'm not doing okay, but I I found one apple on my tree, right? Um, For those of us who who are there, the answer is, yeah, we can have assurance. It's never been based on our performance. Look, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I was talking to them, and they were... um, lamenting how hard the past year has been for them. How hard the Christian walk has been for them. And they were looking back and we were talking about it and they were like, man, this has been ugly. I've just, they're just sad about their shortcomings. But as we were talking, I was like, well, yeah, but hang on. Like, what about this? What I used to be doing this and now you're doing this. Like, you weren't doing this before and now you are. You've turned from this sin and there was all this fruit. I was like, what about that? And they were like, oh, yeah. You know, like even the littlest amount of fruit, John is saying, look at that. And that's your assurance that God is doing something in you from one apple to the tree full of apples. I don't know. I'm rolling with the apple metaphor, but hadn't planned it. But here it is. (laughs) That's we are supposed to have assurance no matter what the fruit is. If the fruit is there, then that's how we can have assurance. So where do we find this assurance? Loving brother and sister, loving in action and truth, believing in Jesus and obeying his commands. And it's not based on the fruit. The fruit is a sign. And that's why any amount of fruit that we see in these things that John brings up brings us assurance. Now, you know, as we grow in this, as we maybe see this and we, we grow in confidence in this as a Christian, the next question kind of becomes... The next question becomes, there we go, where uh, when we have this assurance, what's the effect? When, this, when we read through God's word and we see this in 1 John, okay, yeah, I can't have confidence. In fact, I, in fact, it's not a guess. It's not guesswork. I can know for sure. What does that produce in us? How crazy is it that God wants us to have that assurance? What does that then produce in us? The first thing is this. We love That we can love in tranquility and in tribulation. That is just to say we can love when it's easy and when it's hard. We can love when it's fun and enjoyable and when it's not. Right? This is the first thing. Look what he says here. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Now be saying, how does that, I don't know, what does that have to do with, like, loving when it's easy and when it's hard? Well, think about what this is talking about. Remember, this is talking about Cain. And what happens with Abel? Abel's loving God. He gives him a righteous sacrifice, and his brother kills him for it. In the middle of loving, Abel was killed for it. And then John says, don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. In the same way that Cain hated his brother. Don't expect anything different when you go forth and love. Now, loving, you know, kind of when it's fun and it brings us joy. so many uh, examples of this. Right, So many examples, like when you nail a surprise party for somebody, <clears throat> planning a surprise party six months ahead of time, they, you know, your spouse or your friend or whoever comes in, they're shocked, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing ever. Or if they freaking hate surprise parties, you tell them six months ahead of time, everybody RSVPs the first week, and they freaking love it. They're Mr. or Mrs. Organized. Giving a gift, you know, whatever your specific gifting is, giving a, a thoughtful gift, you've been paying attention to this person, you write down, you give them something. It's not even Christmas, you just give them a gift. They love it, right? My, fo- my wife and I are foster parents, as many of you know, and uh, you know we had this kiddo once and he colored this, uh, colored this coloring page. And my wife put it on the, on the fridge. And he walks in and he looks at it on the fridge and he's like, what's that? And my wife was like, it's your coloring page. And he goes, why'd you put it on the fridge? And she goes, because I thought it was good. And he goes, Oh, thanks. And I was like, it's so magical. Oh my gosh, it was amazing, right? The first time. We've also an eighteen-year-old taking them to, a, to the beach for the first time, watching their eyes scan the horizon, not see the end, right? This loving, this moment of where she, they really know that we love them. I mean, it's like it's just the most amazing thing. I think about the same thing with Jesus, right? Um, the same thing with how fun it would have been to have been Jesus at times, the feeding of the 5,000, you know, where he's sitting there with all his apostles, the teaching ends, and his apostles are like, hey, Jesus, there's no food here, man. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Like, you need to send people home. Otherwise, people are going to starve and, like, I don't know, do something crazy. And Jesus is like, no, I don't think we should do that. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? Jesus is like, I don't know, guys. Seems like we're really up the creek, huh? Am I right? This is, I don't know what we're going to do here. I mean, you guys haven't even invented Taco Bell yet. We're toast, you know? And they're like, yeah, Jesus, what are we going to do? And he goes, is that five loaves and two fish? Bring those over here. Brings them over here. it just multiplies out. Everybody's eating. They're passing these baskets. They just keep multiplying. I don't even know how this would have looked. Pulling the bread out and the fish out of the basket. Turning back. There's like a ramekin of of tartar sauce. Like, it's just this, like, off. It's on tap, man. Like, it would have been so fun at times to have been Jesus. But, you know, if we went back to 30, 33 A.D., Jerusalem, to, and we're standing with Jesus, and we asked him, you know, Jesus, what does it mean to love, brothers and sisters? What does it mean to love God, obey his commandments? What does that mean to you? I mean, you know, you know what I think he would have said? I think his eyes would have turned to the hill in Golgotha where people were being crucified. And I think he would have looked at that, and he would have said that is what it means for me. That's what it means. Now, our Lord loved when the world hated him, all the way up to the top of Golgotha. Now, so too for us, there will be times when it's hard to love. Be that God and obey his commands. Be that brother and sister. Whether it's a hard conversation, whether it's a costly gift, something that's going to cost you, but you know if this person needs it, and everything in between. But remember, we love because he first loved us. This is how we know love, because he laid down his life for us. He went there first. This is, how, this is what I mean when I say love and tranquility and a tribulation. That assurance of belonging to Jesus. We look at this fruit and we're assured, our hearts are reassured, allows us to then walk out into loving in peaceful and difficult times. Here's the next one. Consistency when our hearts are condemn us. Let us not love in word in speech, but in action and truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. Now look, John knows that our hearts are going to waver on this. And what does he, I mean, when he says our hearts condemn us, what does he mean? I think what he means is And after studying the text and studying the commentaries and all that, I think what he means is, and think about what he's talking about before here. Let us not love in word and speech, but in action and in truth. Our hearts are going to condemn us when they don't do that. When we have the opportunity to do that, we see that, we ignore it, and we don't do it, our hearts are condemning us. But John says in the midst of that, in the midst of that, that fruit will reassure us when when we feel that conviction, when that doubt creeps in, and we see that we're both missing the mark and hitting the mark. Our hearts will, rea- will be reassured when they condemn us. When we look back at these things that John says, look at the fruit, that's how you have assurance. That's how you have assurance. And how critical is community for this, right? Even that conversation I was talking about earlier. How important is that? I mean, I worry for the person who attempts this alone. This is what the community of faith is supposed to do in those moments of our hearts condemning us and our hearts doubting us. community of faith is supposed to come around each other and encourage one another, whether that's speaking the truth in love or just encouraging, right? The community is so essential to this. So, when we have this assurance, what's the effect? We can love in tranquility and in tribulation. We can, our hearts can grow in confidence, We have that consistency instead of just whipsawing, back and forth, right? And think about the character of God, that he included this in his word, that he doesn't want us to stumble around in doubt of where we stand with him. That's not what he wants for us. In In fact, he kind of dedicated a whole book to it. How wonderful is our God that that's what he wants for us? How amazing is his heart? So if you have been convicted by this litmus test that John brings forward, this assurance, let me remind you why he's bringing that up in your heart. Because he seeks you. And for the, those of us who see some fruit and we encouraged, have assurance that you belong to Jesus. That's what he wants for you. Now, when we take communion, we remember our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who looked at the hill of Golgotha and walked up it. The great cost that it was to him. The great cost that it was to him. And from that place, we can move forward in assurance of his love for us. The fruit that he's brought out in our lives. When we take communion, we remember the price that he paid. Let's pray. God of heaven, how wonderful you are that you consider us in our doubt and our wavering hearts, Lord. How wonderful that you are, that you want us to be assured, God, that we're your children, that you want us to be assured that we have eternal life. God, that says so much about you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you walked this path first. And as you call us forward into obeying your commands and loving brother and sister in a way that's both wonderful and costly, God, we, uh, Lord Jesus, we ask that you remind us of your first love. And uh, let us go forward this week and do this. Let us go forward this week and do this. We love you so much. In Jesus name amen.